mysteries, mysteries. Mysteries Inc. Mysteries Inc. Mysteries Inc. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Mysteries, Inc. I'm Spring. I'm Joe. And we are here to give you some more fun stories about history, mystery, conspiracies, and creatures. And it all just varies on what we find throughout the weeks. This one is kind of a history and a mystery for me today, so it's it's a little double. And see, I like folklore and history. It kind of started off fun and then it turned into a class. <laughs> <laughs> is it all educational today then? A little bit. A little history lesson, yeah. Mine's... It, it's kind of like Forrest Gump. It includes some. <laughs> it some just starts wrong. It's, it's less historical accuracy than. <laughs> it's so. Adjacent. Yes. It's like how he winds up at the White House and all that. You know, it's just, he's in of everything. Of course he yeah. did. So. All right, as always. Are you ready to go down? Yep. Mm. Let's do it. Rock, paper, scissors. All if right. you're new to this, we do this to see who goes first. All right. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Yes! Yes! Yes, the rain of spring. Oh, shit. That was a lucky one. <laughs> That's right. So this week, my episode is called More Flammable Than Vodka. Fun. Right? <laughs> when it comes to societal norms for how to handle the dead, there are often unique reasons why they do what they do. Some even have a fun story, like the one I'm going to share with you today. This is the story of Savi a Slavic hero from the folktale from the 13th century, explaining the beginning of cremation. See? More flammable than vodka. (laughs) (laughs) While the story was found in Russian work, there are theories that it came from Finland. So I just kind of keep that, like there's dual Mm -hmm. ownership. We meet Savi after his son passed away and he was freshly buried in the ground. The next morning, Savi asked his son how he slept. His son replied that he was barely able to sleep because the worms and the reptiles were starting to eat him. So Savi, having pity for his newly deceased child, gave his son supper and took him to a hollowed out tree and left him there for the night. The next day, Savi arrived and asked his son how his rest was it any better. His son groaned and said that the mosquitoes and the bees kept stinging him throughout the night and he slept very badly. So that night, Savi built a huge funeral pyre and threw his body onto the flames and the next day, he asked his son if he slept well, and the boy said he slept like a baby in a cradle. <laughs> During that time, cremation became uh, was very common in Lithuania, okay. and Great Duke Elgertus had an extraordinary funeral. Elgertus? Well. Sounds like we used to call Alberta Albertus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, My it's brother. Great Duke. <laughs> Well, when he had his funeral, and like mind you, burning, it included 18 saddle horses dressed in, he was dressed in precious stones and accessories made of gold and silver that was, he decided all to go up in flames with him. So it was beautiful. That was the most extravagant one that I could find in Lithuania during the time. Neat. But fast forward into the Russian lore, we go into 1909, and this becomes like non-lore into history. Russia's most holy governing synod, synod uh, S-Y-N-O-D, 
Is this not Sneed? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's I, like, it looks like it should be synagogue, but it's not all the way there in spelling. But anyways. Synod, I don't know. I don't know. It's an Orthodox church leaders. Okay. It's a group of Orthodox church leaders con- who condemned cremation and it stopped. So they were burning everybody and then like the church came in and said, nope, we're not doing it anymore. But it only came God back. changed his mind. Well, and it came back with gusto back in the 1920s because the Bolsheviks came in into power and they wanted to do away with the Orthodox Church. So they stopped the church from registering births and deaths. Hmm. And now it might be an actual jerk move because technically the Orthodox Church there believes that you cannot be re- re- resurrected for Judgment Day if you do not have a body. So, yeah, the whole cremation thing means nobody ain't coming back to fight for Jesus or, you know. (laughs) So (laughs) that was kind of a thing. And after the revolution, during the Civil War, there were so many bodies on the floor or on the ground and everywhere in the streets that according to memoirs put together by this woman called uh, Preskovia Melganova, she's the widow of a famous Russian historian, publicist, and political figure named Sergei Petrovich Mogonov and sorry, <laughs> no, I that's know, all sorry. Good. I, that's it all looks good. really close. Um, and this is her quote. It says, "In Left Fortovo, by night, the wolves were eating the corpses of people who died from typhus. There's a line to the graveyard. People are waiting for days in the hospitals to get treatment, and some are dying on the spot. Some leave. There is no hot water in hospitals." People are being discharged without a bath or even disinfection. There are no supplies. And doctors are dying like flies. Oof. So it was literally just corpses everywhere. Right. And it's, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Like, that's what they, you had to burn plague bodies. Yeah, cremation became a necessary thing. And by 1919, Vladimir Lenin signed a decree that supported it, saying, (laughs) this is what, uh... Kazimir Melvich said about it, he said, by burning a dead man, we get one gram of soot and thousands of graveyards can fit on just one shelf. (laughs) So, I mean, they were running out of land. They had too many bodies. They had to start doing it. Well, so if you're, if it's, if everything is so crazy that you can't even really bury them all, like, oof. Yeah. And they're all going to get stuck in a mass grave. You're exposing yourself to bodies that, like, are causing more sickness yeah and it was surmised that it was also another like it was just really a big big kick at trying to drive them away from because uh communists don't have religion correct i believe that they push out religion and it was one of the things where it was to push the religion out even farther because there were so many dead we need like it was just kind of like oh let's just take away your influence some more oh good that and i don't know i'm i'm on pro Pro bird inside. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I think it's a it's a smart way. To, it depends on your your like area too. Like that you know if you're somewhere where disease can spread. Like yeah. If you're somewhere drier, maybe you can get away with it. But mm. well, then um, I found this website called uh, Russia Beyond, and it's rb or www.rbth.com, and the article is called Why Were the Bolsheviks So Hell Bent on Burning the Dead? And this is like it was too good of a quote to to break apart so that's why i'm giving them full credit for this whole thing it said famous russian writer Cornei tukvalsky attended one of the first cremations in january 1921 he wrote kaplan entered the crematory or crematory uh, which was like a theater and guided us through uh, the mangled halls we laughed there was no piety at all no grandeur 
Everything's bare and frank. No religion, no poetry to decorate the place of incineration. Everybody's in hats, smoking, talking about the corpses like they're talking about dogs. Oh, a young en- no, a young engineer shouted, "Lay it down!" Undertakers in white shrouds grasped the giant metal forceps hanging from the ceiling and put the wobbling coffin on it and shoved it into the furnace. Through a window, we saw how it was burned. How jolly the hospital, the flame was, or how jolly and hospitable the flame was. They added gas, and it went even better. The brain burns, the engineer said. The workers crowded round the window. We took turns to peek in and told each other with gusto, the skull is cracked, the lungs are burning, while graciously letting the ladies go first. I don't know how I could have rewrote that or said it any different. That's... So it became fun? I don't know. I don't know about that, but that's... It sounds like more more like... um... A curiosity, more like a, a scientific fascination. You're like, oh, wow, the, the skull blows up. Well, do you know how much <laughs> they loved it? In about two months, they burned about 400 bodies of homeless beggars, unknown persons, and prisoners of war. 400 mm. bodies in two months. So, and once again, they loved to just stick it to the churches. The churches were converted into cre- like crematories, oh, wow. <laughs> with furnaces being installed by a company Ouch. called Topf and Sons. Topfin Sons actually famously is known for building the furnaces that went into Buchenwald, oh, no. Dachau, I had a feeling Mathaus and Gunson, yeah. Molgov Ghetto, and Gross Rosen Nazi concentration camps. Well, now you have me on the side of saying, <laughs> no, well. Well, they ended up kind of like, they were very intermingled when it came to this furnace industry, apparently. I feel like I'd personally rather be cremated, but not in such a gleeful <laughs> way. Yeah! So, um, in 1992, the largest crematory, the Donskoy Crematory, was converted back into a church. And services resumed in the building. And still to this day, there are about 7,000 urns that are still, like, walled inside of there. And they can't remove them to, like, put them in a different, or, uh, what is the word, re-entomb them or, like, move them to a different spot. Because it's so brittle and dilapidated that if they did, they could just crumble and like just right. be destroyed so some families are kind of angry about it being like technically a burial site and a church where weddings and like baptisms can happen i suppose but aren't so many churches like next to you know a- true but like it was kind of i don't know like they just kind of said that it's cause for the families that have their family members interned there they're kind of like upset about it because they don't want okay. their family members moved but they also just kind of want it to be more of a I don't know. So, the Orthodox Church no longer condemns cremation, and that's where it stands today. Hmm. Interesting. That, I like the original story. That is so, that's sweet. <laughs> and... You went to ask us, and I just sleep last night, you know? But, right. But then all of a sudden, I just got in and like, yeah, I was like, okay, cremation. Let's see if I can find any more, because it's a little tiny story. And then it's like, holy shit, the Bolsheviks wanted to burn everyone. And <laughs> Their approach is a little, a little odd. And a little I, I did bur- build my own little... I mean, not for me, because my own little funeral pyre. My, my bird died a little oh, while ago. Okay. And so I, I was like, I holy shit, a, you're planning that far ahead, Joe. You're like in your little, 30s. <laughs> a little, a little uh, funeral pyre. Aww. And so it worked. It was in a little wooden box, and it was good. And like, I did it in the whole, like, the log cabin, like, built up. So it was like this tower with him inside of <laughs> it. And yeah, I was just like, Rich was like, are you sure that's going to burn well? I was like, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never underestimate a Van Hecke at this stuff. 
<laughs> we're not arsonists, we're I swear. Not, no, but but you're outdoorist. Which means that, like, when it comes to camping and, like, outdoor kind of things, you guys are resourceful. So, like, it's a... You guys are very woodsy. I love it. Yeah, tend to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, in order to survive camping or in the woods, you have to know how to build a fire. True. So, like, I didn't mean arsonist. I just meant, like, you know, you guys are... Yeah, I do do know my styles styles of fire, so... All right. And uh, for mine, we're going to talk about France. So, have you ever heard of the The Little Red Man... No, no. So it it does ring a little bell. Uh, so as you talk about the it, it might Rouge, remind me the Red Spectre. No, that no, so. but right, right now, no. But as you talk, it might it might ring okay. some bells. I had never heard of him. I thought it was actually pretty interesting. So he's a supernatural entity in French folklore. Hadn't found anything. I mean, there was other sim like other red people, but not yeah. like the same thing. <laughs> um, it's believed that he has like prophetic powers. And particularly in, like, the realm of misfortune and disaster. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> He's generally described as a short, gnome-like little guy. Although I have seen some accounts where he's, like, normal size or even yeah. tall, like, weirdly tall. Um, sometimes he's totally red or sometimes just dressed in, like, all red. So, <laughs> sometimes it's his life choice. Sometimes it's a fashion choice. Right. Um... <laughs> And so most commonly, he's associated with Napoleon. Ooh. Um, but, like, his origins are said to go, like, much back, like, for, way back further. Like, you usually just only hear of him in relation of, to Napoleon unless you, like, start digging. So Okay. Uh, Catherine de Medici um, was the first person to witness the, the Red Man. Um, and remember, this is the French Red Man, not the, the Wu-Tang guy. <laughs> as soon as I said the Red Man, I was like, well, not that Red Man. <laughs> He's friends with Method Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so there's actually two stories of his origin, both, both relating to Catherine. Okay. The first one I read was that she encountered the little rat, Red Man in 1564 during the French, or the construction of the, uh, the Tuileries Palace. Um, and she described him as like a, a dwarf-like guy dressed all in red. He appeared to her in like where the, they're constructing things and warned her that she would meet her end near St. Germain. Oh, dang. Yeah, just this weird little red guy appears and... No hi. <laughs> so despite her best efforts to stay, stay away from any place bearing the name of St. Germain... Uh, this prediction would carry some weight because, supposedly, she eventually took ill, and when she summoned a priest for confession, um, she discovered that the priest's name was Laurent de Saint Germain, and she screamed and died. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, the shock. Right. Oh, man. I don't, yeah, it might have been the shock that killed her. Um, so then the other story is that when her husband, Henry II, died, she hired an assassin to eliminate political foes to kind of shore up her power. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> Smart woman. And the assassin, Jean Le Courtre, uh, <laughs> I, I can't speak French, John the Skinner, um, he, grew, he, he grew to know too many of the queen's dark secrets. 
And so, had to tie up loose ends, he too was eliminated. Skinner! Right. <laughs> um, wow, I was expecting him to be the bad guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he knew the, all the things. And, well, But he, I was expecting him to be the killer. Because, I mean, the Skinner. Well, he was. He did. He went and did all her dirty work for oh. a while. So he was, yeah, he was. Oh, and then she got rid of him. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm following now. I'm following. Yeah. And so, uh... He was killed in the Tuileries garden. Was and, he skinned? That'd be amazing. Uh, no, I, I, I think I think I saw something where his throat was slit. I oh, could have so been. He's like, ha ha! You are right, no skin, the skinner. skinner. I'm going to skin the skinner. Ha <laughs> 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 uh, So it's believed that he had haunted, or he had haunted uh, this palace in the garden, and so inhabitants of the Tuileries palace until it burnt down. Uh, would had many stories about this guy or this specter the red specter um it was burned down in 1871 by the french commune are you saying like red is it he has no skin <laughs> I'm like hung up on this man. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, he really he's like want all this guy just to lose muscle. Like he's just muscle and sinew. Nothing Red I found uh, said that. So way better missed opportunity. So people claim to have seen the the red man. This <laughs> eyes gonna get me. Uh, on the evening of uh, Henry the Fourth's assassination in 1610. Ooh. Uh, before and these are just a bunch of n- notable so this is after the the first Catherine yeah. sort of thing these are some notable ones um, before Louis the 16th or, or yeah before Louis the 16th um, I don't know yeah before he died I don't know I may, I maybe I wrote that one but anyways with Louis the 16th the red man allegedly appeared wearing the red cap of liberty um, when he was I think it was the night he was arrested that he he uh, claimed to see this. And the Red Hat of Liberty is this weird kind of whimsical, almost looks like a deflated gnome hat. Okay. Uh, it's no, a soft, conical, yeah. brimless hat. It's associated with the French Fashion Revolution. <laughs> yes. Fashion choice. Yes. Um, Mary Antoinette's ladies supposedly encountered the Red Man. Uh, he visited them a few days before the storming of the Tuileries Palace in, in 1792. Dang. Mm-hmm. So he's like uh, the bad omen. Yeah, particularly for... Uh, nobility. Yeah, right. And Nobody lesser was, you know, like the person starving on the street, no bread man showed up there. No, not really. He wasn't concerned. <laughs> so uh, Napoleon believed to have, is believed to have first encountered the red man in 1798 during his Egyptian campaign. Uh, he made a deal with the red man who promised him victories for a decade. Uh, he told Napoleon that he had advised other French leaders... And that he had been with him since childhood. <laughs> Creepy. Oh, <right>? yeah. <laughs> so he, he just likes to hang around, uh, you know, the, the upper crust. So he's crest. been a groomer. Oh. <laughs> he groomed Napoleon. Could have done better. <laughs> Could have done better. <laughs> just saying. Like, he wouldn't turn off. I mean, he was memorable, but like, eh, didn't he just die on an island all by himself? Yeah, we'll get there in a sec. <laughs> so despite all of his oh. ex- success... Oh, we don't go too deep into it. I was going to say he wasn't alone. The red man the was red always man was there. there. <laughs> right. um, so despite all of his success, Napoleon was greedy. He asked for a five-year extension in 1809. Uh, however, he ignored a condition not to fight in Russia. 
Oh. Some. Oh. Well, yeah, because yeah, they'll burn all your bodies. We just learned about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so on January 1st, 1914, shortly before his abdication, Napoleon was visited by the Red Man again, and he gave him three months to make peace, but Napoleon failed to do so. And so he was removed from power and spent his final days in exile. So he wasn't, I mean, on his, in exile, I forget what the name of the island was. I don't think he was completely alone. He was just like, he he was not allowed to, to be around power, basically. It's yeah, like, yeah. you're a dick. So here, be in power on an island with just maybe a few servants. <laughs> like Pretty much. <laughs> it's what could, basically a similar kind of fate that could befall certain people in their society. <laughs> Not well, really I punished. Like that one. Not really punished, but you know, go live in luxury on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a menace to anyone else. Just the people directly in your vicinity. Exactly. So yeah, it's kind of a fun, fun little one. Dang. Weird. Uh... Red man just showing up. Right. We, we... Did he bring Method Man? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's a fashion thing. It's a fashion thing. The hats. <laughs> I know, because I'm imagining like Elf on the Shelf kind of a thing going running around and like. Yeah, the the Liberty Cap thing. It is very. Uh, it's it's almost Smurf like looking. It's it's like a falling over gnome hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've always been top of the line when it came mm-hmm. to accessories and dressing amazingly. Winning wars, yeah, but <laughs> oh no, no. See, that's what people often think. But man, they they actually have a pretty good, like a pretty long military history. Well, yeah, you have to when you're that mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, like people like on a man, they're like, ugh, they're so mean to everyone that's not like them. Them always. and and, uh, and England were always going back and forth. Uh, True. I'm sure they did enough fight, probably fighting. I don't know too much about them fighting with Spain, but I'm sure. Yeah, actually, a little bit. And there's some. Oh, they fought with everyone. Going on. Napoleon damn near took well over. in World yeah. War Two, though. I'll tell you that one. They didn't do yeah, well there. They did fairly well. They had France fell. Yeah, but I mean they, they had resistance underground, but like so that's many, everywhere. But they weren't the only ones. <laughs> just saying, just saying, England didn't fall. <laughs> yeah. Did Spain? No, Spain was already signed up, weren't they? No. <laughs> you know, I don't know much about Spain's role in the war. Anyways, before <laughs> before we get into it completely off the rails, <laughs> we'll just continue play. this after we turn this off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what. <laughs> It's so like let's let's continue this later. Anyways, it's, it's, I don't know much about that. Well, I don't okay. know much about that. <laughs> We're gonna speculate for the next twenty minutes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> All right. See you next week, All everybody. Right. Bye, guys. <laughs>